0: You're staying home tonight. I hadn't planned on it, no. Plan on it.
1: <laughs> Minus
0: five. Fire! Four. Three. Two. One. Booster ignition and lift off of discovery.
2: You're gonna die. It gets really weird. Like a lot of people Well, it's actually it's okay. like My mom calls me Letícia, and people try to say it that way, and they just can't. And so it's like Letícia is just the easiest way. It's how I say my name myself. Um, Just don't try to say it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Letícia, like the th, like a Spanish th, or like a kind of like, yeah, Mexican Letícia, Letícia.
2: Yeah, yeah, but it scares me when people say it like that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i feel, i feel like i'm in trouble because my mom's literally the only person that calls me that so
0: oh really oh dang
2: yeah 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 so that's why I, it's like i say latisha and and everyone and that's how i introduce myself that's how i say it
1: yeah so but there's always many, like
2: some I, hispanic lady that has to correct me and i'm like yeah i know i i know like <laughs> <laughs> how
0: many how many siblings do you have that's always like my first thing in trying to get to know someone better is like how many siblings do you have?
2: I'm an only child.
0: <gasps> now I'm judging you so differently, right? Do you feel yeah. like you're the classic only child, or do you feel like do you feel like you break the mold?
2: Um, I feel like an only child, but I mean I'm Hispanic. I have so many cousins. I have 113 cousins. So it's like on the Ooh. one hand, I shock, yeah. So I shock people, and I'm like I'm the only child, but then I have that many cousins. So I I don't. I don't really know what a typical, but like, so I'm friends with Jen Fullweiler and she is an only child and she only has like one, two cousins. And I'm like, okay, see, who's, I don't think I, I am. Who's,
0: who's Jen Fullweiler?
2: She ha- She uh, wrote a couple of oh, yeah. books like, and she's had, oh, I'm you're totally joking? joking. I'm like,
0: <laughs> she's so, she's, she, to me, she's so famous. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I was, that was a bad joke. I became,
2: I became friends with her before she was famous, so it, tri- it trips me out still to this day when people are like, "Oh my God, you know Jim Belcher," I'm like, "Yeah."
0: <laughs> so you're an only child. Do, like your parents, did they come from many? Uh, like how many siblings did your parents have?
2: So my mom um, had a my mom had eleven siblings. Yeah. Yeah. So so there was twelve of them, including my mother, but one of the children was placed for adoption. So she grew up with 10 siblings and she was the oldest. Um, And then I don't know my father, so I don't know
0: anything about him.
2: Yeah. So I I come from a big family.
0: And most people in your extended family have lots of kids.
2: I mean, yeah, they kind of vary. So I have one uncle that has three kids, two adopted kids, one biological child. And then I have an aunt who has the 10 kids. So it goes from, one spectrum to the other, but then they also had, those are just their married children and they had children outside of their marriages and stuff. That's why I have so many cousins.
0: (laughs) Crazy. So my, my wife and I are like, I'm one of two, but we have five kids and my wife is one of four, but she wants like, like her dad has, I think her dad has 11 siblings or something like her dad has a lot of siblings But like my side of the family is all not a lot of siblings, but it's funny how both of us just want to have tons of kids.
2: Yeah, I mean, kids are fun. Like I had four kids and I guess everyone just thought that if I stopped having kids, somehow my life would be better. And it's like the kids actually made my life better. What didn't, what was hard on my life was the lack of education, the lack of resources, uh, good living wage <laughs> a husband yeah. who could not do drugs like those kinds of things would have made my life better right but the kids so now that i'm 43 i have uh so four kids three grand uh three stepchildren and two grandchildren and mm-hmm. i tell my kids all the time like get married young have lots of kids like the kids are the fun part
0: yeah and especially for you to like i just as soon as we got married within a week we were pregnant and i was like it's going to be nice to be you know, forty something and my and our oldest be like eighteen, you know?
2: Yes. Uh yeah. I mean I'm forty-three and my youngest, our youngest, all seven of all seven is eighteen, about to be nineteen in October. And we have two grandkids. So like I'm forty three wow. and I have two grandkids. My oldest grandkid is seven and my youngest grandkid is four. So it's like
0: oh, super cool. That's uh, it's amazing. Super cool. That's so fun. It have you fun. so um so, what's been your what? What was your? Did you grow up Catholic?
2: Um, no, but it's kind of complicated. Um, everything with me is complicated. But um, I'm so, I,
0: I'm
1: so I so here uh, for it.
2: <laughs> it's never like a straight answer. It's always like, well, yeah. actually. Um, so I grew up in a culturally Catholic family. I'm Hispanic. My um, aunts and uncles were Catholic. Um, so Catholicism was a norm for me. Like, it, it's not shocking to me to walk into a house and see a giant Our Lady on the wall. Like, that's yeah, that's where'd you grow up every day?
0: Up? Where'd you grow up? Uh, Did you move around a lot or were you in one place?
2: I moved from two different places from the panhandle of Texas to South Texas and then back to the panhandle and then to Houston. So, I it was kind of like those, maybe those two places. Um, but I grew up in a small, like from the age of four, three, I was three when we moved there. From the age of three until 15, I grew up in a small Texas rural town south of San Antonio. Yeah. Um, and, and it was just me and my mother. Like my uncle lived in a town next to us, which was like maybe 45 minutes away. But in the town we lived in where I grew up, it was just me and my mother. I had no siblings. I had no cousins there. So I kind of was just... On my own. Um, and I didn't speak English. So oh. when I started school, they, uh, I guess the school and my mother, I don't know, everyone, all the adults around me decided that I needed to speak English. So everyone stopped speaking Spanish to me. Um, and they, uh, my mom ran a daycare. And one of the parents of uh, the kids that she took care of said, let's take her to vacation Bible school at the First Baptist Church. She can learn English. And she can learn about Jesus and have a good time. And so I uh <laughs> so I was eight years old going to the Baptist church by myself. There was no adults with me, no practicing anything. And I just I went to the Baptist church for um oh sorry. Uh I went
1: 35.
2: to Okay. It might happen again, because 'cause I've hit repeat sometimes instead of stop. But um I went to the Baptist church by myself until I was fourteen. Um you know the typical Baptist child collecting chick tracks, carrying my Bible, my King James Bible around
0: wait, so you went to v b s and then after that you just kept going back by yeah. yourself yeah <laughs> were you pretty were you pretty like were you a pretty strong headed kid like were you like more would your mom say you were pretty stubborn as a kid or oh, independent yeah. Yes, yeah,
2: stubborn independent, all of it, you know, um. And, I mean, I would ride my bike there.
0: <laughs> what would your mom, like, what would your, they were just like, all right, let's just go into going to Baptist church. like,
2: Yeah. Like, I mean, just- you know, yeah, it was like eight, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. You know what I mean? Like the, it was so, it's so funny because I mean. I guess I grew up, in, I grew up in the nineties, you know, parents just did. They were like, see ya. Like you woke up, you got on your bike and you took off as of like, um, the lost boys or what's known, um, stand yeah. by me, that movie, you know?
0: Yeah. It's like be back before the streetlights turn on, you know?
2: Yeah. And if you're not, then we'll call the one cop in town to go find you.
0: <laughs> what kind of small Texas town? I mean, uh, some of the small Texas towns are very like, there's a Munster is like a very old Polish small small catholic town like what what was the makeup was it like a cow town was it like what was the small town that you lived in
2: yeah it was a cow town as far as i was concerned yeah it's a it's a cow town now it's an oil town there's been a huge oil boom which is crazy because oh. when we go home they have a taco bell and it's just not
0: <laughs> good for them
2: no you should suffer like the kids nowadays that are growing there are not suffering whatsoever they have a taco bell and they just got a burger king so me and my husband are like this is just not it's not yeah yeah you know (laughs) yeah so yeah it was a super super small conservative um evangelical i mean town and and they they loved me and i think that that's really why i went to the church cuz i just it was the it was the only family i had um yeah it was just the it was the only family i had the people were super nice to me they fed me they were kind to me my mom you know my mom is um she was a single mother she you know was a migrant worker she started working when she was four so for her like I had the most privileged life because I was 10 and got to ride my bike around town and she was like you have it so nice it's like it's kind of normal mom you know um (laughs) (laughs) and so uh, yeah I mean I just I loved it because it was a community and I didn't really have that in any other space because I didn't have cousins I didn't have siblings I didn't have a family at home so it was my make-believe family so I yeah. had quite an imagination too. So it worked for me. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, you've written some about um, generational poverty. And then also, um, part of the reason um, Anna kind of, um, a friend Anna like recommended you or just kind of sent me your ways because I started getting, I came across this phrase intergenerational trauma. Are you familiar with this phrase? Yes. And so I've, you know, I'm processing, I mean, I'm in my thirties, so I'm still processing, you know, my childhood and my adulthood and like everyone's doing that (laughs) self-work, that (laughs) self-therapy. And, um, I'm really fascinated by this idea of intergenerational trauma and, and generational poverty. And I was really, I'm fascinated by that. Um, so I don't know, maybe you could talk a little bit about your experience growing up and then how you feel like that connected. Because, I mean, like you said, like your mom's your mom says, oh, you have it so good. <laughs> and you're just like, what do you mean, mom? We're eating Wonder Bread every single day. Like, what do you mean we have it so good? It's yeah, like that Monty, I... Python sketch, that Monty Python sketch where it's like, oh, we we dreamed of living in newspaper. <laughs> we wish it was a luxury of a box, you know, to live in, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean that, so growing up, I didn't know anything, you know, I, and looking back now really watching my oldest granddaughter looks just like me, has my same exact personality. And if I had not been in therapy for so many years before she was born and started growing up, she would have seriously triggered me badly (laughs) because it's like there's every once in a while, like memories of my childhood just, come at me because she does something that's so similar to the way I do did things when I was younger um but um so growing up I thought it was all normal and then um when I was 13 I met a boy and i liked him and we started you know going around and he was my boyfriend and there was all this teenage drama that comes when you're 13 and like a boy and um
1: it's tough he broke
2: up <laughs> yeah he broke up with me and when he broke up with me i kind of lost it and i started um sneaking out of my house running away being very promiscuous and so for most of my teen years My mom and my uncle were trying to figure out how to control me, quote unquote. And they kept asking me like, what's wrong with you? What what the hell is wrong with you? You know, like how normal people are with teenagers that are just acting buck wild or whatever. And the last time I ran away, my uncle asked me in a way that really... I was just so tired, and so I just told him everything that happens as a, when I was a child. And it was that I had been sexually abused by the man that lived with me and my mother. We rented the house from him, but he lived on one side of the house, and we lived on the other side of the house. Um, and he had been sexually abusing me for years as a child. And oh, I man. finally how, told my uncle. How, how old,
0: how old um, were you how, at that point? Was that?
2: I probably was about five or six when it started, I, and it was nine when I when it stopped. Um,
0: did you even know, like, like, uh, I've heard that, well, like when you're that young, like it's hard to even know, like, when did you realize that, that, that there was something going on that was not okay?
2: Um, I never really knew that it wasn't okay until when I had this first boyfriend and, you know, you're fooling around as teenagers and all of a sudden I'm like, wait, I, this has happened before. And then I'm in a Baptist church. And it's teen years in a Baptist church, so they're really going hard on the chastity, don't have sex before marriage. And if you do, you're used gum or something <laughs> like that whole.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I know the talk. I know the talk.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like,
0: <see> the- <laughs> piece of tape every time this tape is and it becomes a worse and worse piece of tape every time and you just throw that piece of tape away it's like wow (laughs) great message received
2: nice okay so i'm a used piece of gum and i'm only 13 this is gonna work out really well for me you know
0: um
1: yeah
2: and and so so that kind of started happening but you know i was still a kid and i still didn't it wasn't an working. Like it wasn't solidified. Like I wasn't getting the vocabulary. I wasn't understanding what happened. So when I told my uncle this, my uncle being the kind of man that he was just took me to his house, told me, go inside, tell your aunt Mary, who was his wife, that you're going to stay with us and I'll be back. And he, um, it wasn't until I was in my thirties that I, that he told me the story that he went to the house and he pulled a shotgun out and said, if you ever come near her again, I'll kill you and got my mm-hmm. stuff. But at the time I had no idea what happened. All I knew was I told my uncle something. I ended up living with him and eventually my mom came back um, yeah. Yeah. and took me. Um, so it all happened to me. Nothing ever happened with me and nothing ever was explained to me. No one ever defended me. No one ever said what the, what happened to you was wrong. Um, it was kind of like you, you said something and now everything's a mess, you know? Mm. Um, so you fast forward, I got pregnant with Anthony, my oldest son when I was 16. Um, and then when he was three, I met a guy, I married him after only knowing him for two weeks, (laughs) we had, uh, four more children, but one ended in miscarriage at like 20 weeks. And again, something happened to me. No one explained it to me. No one helped me process it. So I was 20 weeks pregnant. I lost a baby. No one offered to let me see my child or tell me what the sex of the child was or to name the child, bury the child. There was no process for me whatsoever. Um, so it's one thing after another, you know? Um, and then when me and my first husband got divorced, um, at this point, you know, I had two, I had four kids under the age of nine. I had suffered not having a father, being sexually abused as a child, getting a divorce, blah, blah all this and this and that. And I was just like, I really need Jesus. Like, I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe the answer is God. But before you get to Jesus, yeah. if you're a woman in America, you start with Oprah. Okay, because yeah. you don't really want to. <laughs> you don't want to get too <laughs> committed <awkward>. to Jesus.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Start with Oprah. Like, let's just ease into this.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's watch a little Oprah. Let's see what she's got to say about yeah. this. You know, let's let's see what her advice is on getting your life yeah. together. Um, I want to go.
0: I want to go to Oprah Church.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And you know, it's crazy because two things happened. One, she had a show on sexual abuse. And it gave me vocabulary for what happened to me. Um
0: And how, groom- how old were you at point? The-
2: I was uh 31. I was 31.
0: Gosh. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um and so I uh so I had a vocabulary like what is grooming? What What's this? What's that? So finally, someone telling me what happened to me was not my fault. I wasn't used gum. I was a victim, you know,
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. and
2: not because anyone was intentionally like trying. I, and no one was intentionally trying to get me to, you know, avoid saying that I was a victim. It's just no one talked to me. You know, no one gave me a vocabulary yeah. or whatever. And I didn't make it easier either because who's going to, I don't know, I was running away and acting really crazy. But um, anyway, so that, so that. What
0: what do you wish? I mean, obviously I I hate questions where it's like, what do you wish was different when you were a kid? Because it's like everything I've experienced made me who I am. And it's really hard in this present moment to wish I was someone different, but, but what do you, what would you advise a parent, a, a friend, a relative, like what do you wish or, or how do you now advise people to help in those situations? Because like, I, I, you know, I was in youth ministry for a long time and kind of walked with people experiencing lots of different trauma and have seen a lot of, you know, mishandling of trauma. I mean, there's the trauma and then there's the mishandling
1: yes.
0: of, of like the aftermath which and is traumatic. You, yeah, yeah, and it's it is, and I hate. I mean, this sounds like I'm just a teenager. Just yesterday, becoming an adult, but everything is so complicated. It is so complicated and and difficult, and it and um, I think like you know, as you're growing up, or as you're when when you experience some of these things through a movie or television or even a documentary, you get such a like. When you're actually in the moment experiencing it, or or you have a friend who's experiencing it, it is so much. It feels a hundred times more complicated, and and I don't think anyone really. For me, no one really prepared me for the complexity of the emotions and the and the relationships. It just is so complicated. And wh- like, what do you, what is your after having gone through that firsthand? Like, how do you? I mean, how do you even prepare? people or talk to people about how to help
2: I think what I tell everybody what I tell everybody who is a parent I say you have to you have to do whatever it takes to be able to accept criticism from your children because I think that for so long, parenting was this thing where it's like, I'm the parent, you're the kid. In order for you to respect me, you can't say anything negative about me. Mm. And that really shuts down a child's reality because they don't even have the freedom to say, this is how I'm experiencing this situation right now. Yeah, And part of being in a relationship is allowing pers- different perspectives. It's not. It's not really even about right or wrong. It's about everyone's experiencing it differently i'm experiencing it as a mom and they're experiencing it as a child right so you have to have that you have to be healed enough whatever that means for you to accept truths from children which are blunt
0: (laughs) well and and the other thing i mean as a you know when i was a youth minister there's so many parent, so many parents that would say well kids don't want to be around adults and i'm like are you crazy like when like look at all the people that teenagers look up to often they're older than them. Like they're trying to figure out how to be an adult and they're either going to learn it from their friends yeah, who are acting more like an adult or they're going to learn it from adults. So, you know, as a kid, when you're growing up, you're trying to figure out like, what does it mean to be an adult? And I, I, it's funny you say that. Cause I remember there being a few times where I w- was trying to give that feedback to my parents. I was just saying, Hey, I, I feel like, Adults shouldn't act this way. <laughs> and it's like, what do, I feel like maybe this you know? is
2: just weird and off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: and that's that's what an interesting. That's a really good. What an interesting way to say, to give. Like I'm thinking of my kids, like giving them permission to try to critique adulthood and what it means to be an adult. Because in some ways, that's it's helping them practice. Like, how yeah. would you be an adult? Like, how how would you do it if you were in a you know what I mean? And it helps them kind of like like grow in that in that way
2: and it gives them a voice it gives them a voice in the relationship and it also and I know people like I mean I I I tell this to my cousins all the time and I get the like oh my god you're so hippie you're such a hippie it's like it's not a hippie thing it's teaching them how to use their voice and to trust you and to be honest you know so like my grandchildren my oldest grandchild Aaliyah I don't even know what I said to her the other day it was like It was not that big of a deal to me, but she stops me and she puts her hands on my legs. And she says, I just need you to know that that hurt my feelings. And, um, I would rather you not say that to me. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And that's it. Okay. There's no, I'm a horrible grandmother. She's a horrible, no, it's just she voiced that this specific thing I don't even remember what it is so I'm going to fail and do it again because I don't remember but um this, <laughs> this this specific thing hurt her and she got to say that and ask kindly please don't say that to me again and it's like okay yeah, yeah I won't you know um and and there's no disrespect there if anything it's mutual respect and love and kindness you know yeah yeah, um, yeah it's always
0: like It's all, you know, um, I hate to make everything about Montessori. My wife has a way more successful podcast than me about Montessori. (laughs) And if she were listening right now, she would be saying something to the effect of, you know, um, one of the things that's really frustrating as a kid is being treated like a kid oftentimes. And, uh, you know, a Montessori approach to things is like little kids are trying to figure out the adult world. And, And when you think about it, like, they're so tiny in this world built for adults. And so anything you can do to give them skills where they feel validated as a, as like an actual creature in this world, you know, so giving them the language to express with with adults um, is just so important. I mean, in, in Montessori, it's a lot of like, teach them the skills, like use real materials, teach them how to do those things. And, and like, let them do it themselves instead of doing everything for them, you know?
2: Yeah. And I mean, so um, my oldest son, Anthony, died by suicide in March of 2017. And after his suicide, at that point, I had already been in therapy. I'd done a lot of healing work with myself. And that's how um, I had begun to learn about intergenerational trauma. Um, and because I had, just come to the realization that there's something very wrong. Cause I was already going to cat. I was already going to mass all the time. I was devoutly Catholic. My second husband and I got married in the church and he, my second husband's actually the boy that I started dating when we were, when I was 13. So so Mm. it came around full circle and we got, we had a beautiful wedding. Everything was, we bought a house, he owned a business, everything was supposed to be great. And there's still just this, angst in me and this anger and um depression all kinds of stuff so I started going to therapy um and dealing with all of this stuff for about five years before Anthony's suicide um and then his suicide led me down the path of generational trauma because I was like what happened and as I started going back back to his childhood the things that I had, the things that I had done out of reaction to my own trauma started coming up. And at first it made me feel very guilty. Like, Oh my God, I caused this because I didn't get therapy sooner or because I made this decision because I was hurt or whatever the case might be. But then that led me to what did my mother do when I was a child that I hold Mm. her accountable for? And why does she do that? Oh, it was her trauma. And it's like, so then I went to talk to my great aunt, who's my grandmother's sister, and I asked her, like, what was my grandmother's childhood like? And there's all this trauma there, you know? Mm. And so my grandmother felt rejected from her mother, so therefore she didn't know how to mother my mother, and then my mother didn't know how to mother me. And then
1: yeah.
2: I did a little bit better, but there was still a lot. I mean, there was still a lot I could have done differently, right? So I'm looking at my grandchild, who's now. Um, his father's now gone and she's traumatized because her and my son, Anthony were super close. Anthony took care of them their whole lives or whatever. And I'm wondering like, how am I going to help this child not have the problems I had? Cause I mean, she's obviously traumatized her father, you know, died by suicide. This is my worst nightmare, you know? Mm. Um, and so we got her in therapy right away. So all of these things that I learned in therapy to help myself with my own trauma, I was now hearing those same things coming out of Aaliyah's mouth. Like, like that, like, this is my boundary. Please don't cross it. Like she'll say that to me sometimes and I'm like tickling her and she's like, I don't want to be tickled right now. This is my boundary. Please don't cross it. And I'm like, okay, you what, know.
0: What an adult. Yeah. What an adult. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and it's, like, so funny because it's funny, but at the same time, it's like, wow, watching her, like, express herself in healthy ways, I never have to get onto her. I never, I mean, you know, like, I grew up in a family that spanks. I spanked my children. I defended spanking up until the day my son died, you know, because then it made me go back and just examine everything. Like, what was I doing? Why was I doing it? Where did I get the idea that this was the way to parent? You know,
0: yeah. um,
2: and, and so I, I, I don't even, I don't even know the last time that I told Aaliyah, no, don't do that. Cause we, we just don't have that language. Like we just have, I'm like, what are you doing and why are you doing it? And she just has the language of explaining it to me. And I can be like, well, let's do it this way. Or how about if we do this instead or whatever. Yeah. And it just runs so smoothly. Like there's no tears, there's no crying, there's no tantrums, which is just strange. Um, Granted, we have a uh, lot of trauma bonding.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Man, I, oh my gosh. I should have had my wife join us for this because um, I'm trying to process a lot of that type of stuff too with Montessori. I hate to bring it back to Montessori again, but um, a lot of Montessori, like Danielle, my wife, you know, she's like saying, look, you don't say no, don't do that you like bring their attention like oh no that thing fell instead of yeah. like instead of like <laughs> why did you do that like you need to keep your cup better or blah 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 you like you just bring this like oh this thing fell now you know or like oh why did this happen or um what so has has the concept i don't know much about intergenerational trauma what did that concept do for you did like how did that help or you know did did the concept help or I mean because you know obviously you don't want to just keep going back and back like how how do you handle personal responsibility but also you know obviously it probably and I'll tell a story in a little bit but it it probably provides insight you know it's like wow this insight into why things are the way they are but then what's that next step you know um yeah after, after be aware of those things
2: yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the thing. And especially having a, a child that died by suicide, it's a huge, huge thing for me to explain to people that that does not re- like there's personal responsibility. There's things I'm personally responsible for, but, and as Catholics, we have the language for it. it's culpability, right? Like yeah. it's, it's still disability, but how culpable you are is on a scale. And really only you and God know what that scale is. And really at the end of the day, it's only God, but like, that's what it is. And so what it's done for me though, it it has caused, it has given me compassion and mercy to my mom and to my grandmother who I was so angry at. So Mm. it turns, it turned that anger, that anger was destroying me. So, you know, my grandmother's been gone for 23 years. My mom is, you know, a ball of her own trauma that's not ever been resolved. And so, like, my anger at them wasn't fixing any of that, but it was destroying me. So, understanding trauma and understanding the way it biologically impacts your neural functions um, and decision making allowed me to give them compassion and grace. That melted all that anger for myself so that I could yeah. move forward in a healthy, loving way with my surviving children and my grandchildren and my husband. Because, man,
1: yeah.
2: I would nitpick my husband all the time just out of pure anger for things that I had no control over, you know. And then having my uh, son die by suicide, it it was I even had to explain this to my therapist It's like, I have to take personal responsibility for my bad choices because as parents, we make them. We're human. We make bad choices and also understand that I didn't cause his suicide. He was sick. Mm. He was ill. Um, and, And understand those two things separately, instead of trying to create this like one big ball of, of information, like, you can't say, Oh, it's not my fault. He committed suicide. Therefore, none of my choices impacted that. Cause that's not reality. That's just not true. My choices yeah. did impact his childhood and, and his inner, um, you know, well-being and how he saw himself. Obviously my choices impacted all of that. The same as my mother's choices impacted how I saw myself and my self esteem and all that stuff. Yeah. So I have to take responsibility for those things and forgive myself for them and ask, yeah. you know, God to forgive me for them and then move forward.
0: Yeah, I think about the, the you know, Jesus talking about the repentant sinner versus the, you know, the, like self-righteous Pharisee. And I've, I've talked a lot to friends in, in youth ministry a lot about the movie Noah and how to me it was it was really shocking i the, in, when i was watching that movie for the first time i realized that noah it wasn't obvious to noah this message of mercy like in america we have such a it's so penetrated our culture the idea of mercy and forgiveness and God, like like most people You know, if you walk on the street, like, what about Jesus? They're like, he loved everyone, mercy and forgiveness, you know, all that stuff. And so this idea of like, if you never had that, you know, you didn't have that. That's a scandalous concept because what it gives you permission to do is to say both I am responsible and I am redeemable. Yes. You know, like, like it's like, it's like, because I I, I know I've had some really tense conversations with people where they're like, man, you are so hard on yourself. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, like there is like a both and, you know, like there is saying I am responsible and I am, I still worthy of love because, because I'm not going to pretend that I'm the type of person that would never be capable. Here's a, oh, this comes to mind. As right after the Boston bombings happened, I was at dinner and I was a young kid, you know, younger, but I was at dinner with a bunch of older people and they were like, I just couldn't imagine. I just could never do that. And I remember getting so mad because for some reason, I just was like, if I'm honest, I have the capacity for evil or I have the capacity for ignorance or I have the capacity for like negligence. I have to be honest that I have that capacity. Yeah. And, and some people are, you know, it's hard for some people to wrestle with their potential for evil or, just, and like, how can you both acknowledge that and be worthy of love? And that's the message of Christianity.
2: It's the whole thing. Exactly. My, you know, my son died an atheist and, um, <laughs> and when i talk about him dying by suicide i have to really push back against the idea that he's in heaven which is so crazy to me because i really thought that it was going to be the other way around i really thought yeah. i was going to push back against the idea that he was in hell and it's like both neither one of those is ours to assume for anyone except for um, the people yeah. that the church has canonized but there's a process for a reason you know yeah um and so I really do have to push back against that. People are like, oh well, if you think that just because. Sorry, here we go again. No, um, and pe- people are like, J- just because. Um, I I try to tell people like, this is the thing. It's none of my business. It's
0: between yeah, him oh, and God. That is such a great way to say it. That's such a great way to say it.
2: Yeah, there's my because- responsibilities, which was to get him his sacraments, to teach him the faith, and to let him be an adult, and. I did those check, 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 you know, and now I pray for him.
0: And, and, and it's, it's such a, you know, for people who haven't seen the movie Noah, like to watch that and think about the dynamic, the the tension between justice and mercy, because yeah. like that, that is, I mean, what more relevant topic, I mean, that touches on everything we're going through right now. In our culture, everything humanity goes through is like, how are you, how do we make sure that you're both held responsible for your actions, but also given the freedom to acknowledge things that are, things that brought you to the point to choose that. Right. And um, I, so I, I've been dying, I've been really dying to share this with you because this is how a lot of this started. It, um, my wife and I uh, have, have done a lot of marriage counseling <laughs> and we <laughs> recommend it. All the, I bring it up all the time on the podcast. I, we probably are, we are owed, I wish we had an affiliate link for our marriage counselor because <laughs> we have convinced so many people to do marriage counseling. And I talk about it a lot. I'm really, and I, and I really believe strongly in trying to destroy the stigma of marriage. Like you don't have to have a horrible marriage to go to marriage counseling. Like um, I convinced one of my friends, you'll love this. I convinced one of my friends to buy marriage counseling as an anniversary present. And he, was like, and he was like, our marriage isn't bad. And I was like, here's what you do. You tell your wife. I was like, this is going to be the, this is going to be the best. You guys might have another kid after this. I said, you tell your wife. As you tell your wife you care so much about your marriage that you want to really work on and find anything that could be better about how you relate to each other or what your past is. Or So anyway, so I've been dying to tell you this um, as it relates to intergenerational trauma. So I was in marriage – we were in marriage counseling, and, and my counselor, a Catholic, Catholic counselor, I love him, Dave McCloud, um, he owes me money. But <laughs> I was sharing – I was sharing like my experiences and things I struggle with. And out of nowhere, he just said, was your dad an alcoholic? And I said, no. In fact, my mom and dad never drank alcohol until I was, I mean, I don't remember my, my mom, I remember drinking alcohol. Maybe when I was 18 or 19, I don't ever remember my dad drinking alcohol. And he said, that's really weird because you're acting like some of your behavior it sounds like people who are children of alcoholics. And then what ended up, what I've remembered was that my dad's dad was an alcoholic. And ah. so w- through some processing of, and, and kind of, you know, talking, um, our marriage counselor was like, you're, you are experiencing the symptoms of a child of an alcoholic parent through your dad yes so so it was and and I, you know i've really been processing and thinking about this a lot because it blew my mind the idea that 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 type of trauma could impact me and i could learn behaviors that were coping behaviors Even though my direct father never drank, and it was through, it was like he learned it and passed it on, and and it was, and this just blew my mind. And so I started talking to Anna about all of this, and and we, you know, and and that's how you know I came across some of your work, and but yeah, so I don't know, I don't know if you can speak to that, but that idea I want to make more known to people, like to know that it doesn't make it bad. Like it doesn't mean you're bad or your parents are bad or, but just to be aware of that, you know, to be aware that this.
2: Yeah. And this is the thing, like for me specifically, this is how, this is how generational trauma and generational poverty come together for me and my life is that my mother and my grandmother were so busy trying to survive the unsurvivable. You know, my mom started working in the fields as a migrant worker when she was four years old. So that, surviving that takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of mental energy. It takes a lot of willpower to keep herself together, you know? And so my mom didn't have the space or ability to be self-aware because she was too busy trying to survive, you know? so. I had a little bit more space to be self-aware and then after Anthony's suicide I had no other choice but to become self-aware. So I could see what is this behavior and where did it come from and yeah what is that and I need to work on that. I need to heal that. You know, so my mom used to my mom's mom would was very physically abusive to my mother. So my mom said she was never going to physically abuse me, which wasn't true. She did, but She thought it was spanking and and she had her own rationalization for how that's not the same. But the thing that my mom would do in order to not be so verbally and physically abusive is she would seethe. (laughs) So then as a child, I'd have to learn the cues of, are you mad? You know, and how mad are you? And what did I do? Like I had to play this guessing game because she didn't want to yell and be verbally and physically abusive as her mother was she seethed she kept it in and it came out her ears and her whole body language
0: Wait, what, what's that word that you're saying she seized
2: seethed like you know like like the steam came out her ears you know she just would sit there and be oh, like, so angry okay, yeah she'd you. be yeah, so yeah. seething you know and yeah, and yeah. i would have to like try to figure out like what did I do and I was the only child so I'm the only one she could be mad at too that's a whole other thing like I didn't have siblings to be like, "Oh, you probably did something really stupid it was like no it's me. it's me it's all me so so now I get very I get very anxious when someone just stops talking to me like if I'm texting someone and they just drop off, which is a normal thing to do because it's texting like who you know what I mean eventually you just stop texting but it gives yeah. me a lot of anxiety because I'm like did I do something what did I do what could I And then you know and my therapist is like let's where did that come from you know um yeah and then I I traced it back and I realized where where that came from and that's with everything and my mom just didn't have the she didn't have the space or the time to be able to do that to be like why why do I you know just become silent and full of anger <laughs> angry vibes that's what i call it
0: <laughs> did you ever along along your journey did you ever struggle with feeling like self awareness was um being too self indulgent or um like navel gazing like well i don't want to talk you know like i really struggled with that i really struggled with i'm you know, even in therapy, like constantly apologizing for talking too much about myself. And he's like, you're paying me to talk about you. <laughs> like, stop, stop apologizing. Like, and, and um, I don't know, like, and I wonder, I wonder how much I really love this show on Netflix, Babylon, Berlin. And one of the things that the director talked about was when you read these autobi or these biographies of people in like the 1920s or earlier, He he talks about how they were so characteristically unaware of themselves. Like they just didn't think at at that time, at that age, you just didn't, you weren't self-aware. It just wasn't a thing. And I I just wonder about that. I wonder about, is that real, that insecurity that I have sometimes of like, should I be thinking so much about myself? Is that too self-indulgent? (laughs)
2: I, um, okay. Two things that I thought of when you were saying that one, I, I, I don't think of it that way for, but only one reason there's only for one reason, because, um, I went so long without anyone hearing me or, or Mm. seeing me that therapy is the one place where I'm heard and seen. So it feels good. So I'm like, this is, this is safe. This is what safety feels like. And I want to figure out how to make my world this way, you know, not that everyone's going to treat me the way my therapist does. But what do I have to do within myself so I feel this way everywhere I go, you know? Um, And then my mom would say, like, oh, must be nice to go to therapy. It's so luxury. It's such a luxury. And then I was like, oh, so this crazy person thinks that therapy is a luxury. That means it's not you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Got it. And then another thing that I was thinking of when you were saying that is if you look at all the stories of the people that Jesus healed from what the hemorrhaging woman, she was very aware of her problem and aware wow. that yes. Jesus was the one that could heal her. So I think that's the thing. If, if someone is, because I do see this sometimes where people go to therapy they learn all the language and then they use it as a cop-out for literally everything, you know? Um, I think that's different than being aware of your problem and also aware that the person who's going to heal you from that problem is Christ, Mm. you know? And you have to do certain things. Like you have to go to the crowd and you have to touch his cloak and you have to climb a the root to the roof, and there's things you have to do, right? All these people did crazy, crazy things to get to Jesus for Him to heal them. So you do have to do that, but the first step is knowing you have something wrong, and that Christ can heal you. You know,
0: after having that experience, I agree a hundred percent. After, what would you tell people? You know, for people who maybe haven't experienced therapy or who hear you say that that was the first time you felt heard and seen and safe. What advice would you give someone, either a church worker or a a family, you know, someone like, what advice do you give someone if they want to help someone in their life feel seen and heard and, and safe and loved? I mean, obviously not everyone can be a therapist, but, (laughs) but I feel like that's a really, keen insight that in therapy often people feel for the first time seen heard known and and safe what can we learn from that
2: i think the only way you can be that for someone is if you know what makes you feel seen and heard and safe so if Hmm. you if you're like oh yeah you know if you haven't dealt with your own stuff you know um Then if you don't know how to go from, I feel like I'm in danger to, I feel safe. If you don't know how to regulate yourself in that way, you can't do that for anyone else because you don't even know what you're doing. You're just trying to, you're going to end up trying to feel okay yourself. Cause you're going to end up feeling like there's something super wrong here and anxious and anxiety. Right. So, so I, that's what I tell everyone. You have to know that for yourself. You have to know what safety feels like for yourself, um, mm. before you can be that for anyone else. And honestly, I think I'm like you, I tell everyone, go to therapy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love you. And I want to be here for you and I can buy you a pint of chocolate ice cream, but then you also need to go to therapy, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how do you, how do you navigate or, or how would you, you talked about how some people might gain the language and use it as a cop-out. What, what, how do you navigate that? Like at what point does it become, cause I, I've been nervous of that too. I mean, I think way too much probably about my, about all this stuff and and so <laughs> I mean, it's just in my nature. And so I do worry about, you know, using the language, like, like labeling something and say, and, and saying, well, I struggle with this because I'm this way. And this is what's happened to me, as opposed to seeing it as, no, this is an opportunity for growth. You know, like, let's not just say, well, you're, hey, this is how you are, say la vie. I mean, how, yeah. how does someone make sure that they're not just using the therapy language as a cop out?
2: I think it's, I think you go back to the both and it's, uh, this is why this cause this situation causes me to react this way because I have X, right. And because I have X, I have to know how to push, not, I hate the word push through it, but I have to know how to self regulate myself. So for instance, for me specifically, um, I get anxiety, when people want to hug me. Okay. So if I'm in a place and I see everyone's hugging, 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 I start getting the anxiety and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I know why I have that anxiety. I was sexually abused as a child. People didn't ask permission before touching me. And it was an abusive situation. But instead of going, Hey, everybody, I was sexually abused as a child. So hugging gives me anxiety. I have to regulate myself. The world isn't going to regulate for me. I have to mm care for myself and regulate for myself and and put myself in god's hands you know like i have i have a process of things that i'm doing so that i can i can do what i have to do in the world i have to go to work i can't you know what i'm saying so it's a matter of of both of knowing why you do something and so that that way you can know how to function in the world
0: yeah man that's so good. That's great advice. Um, Anna had texted me a question that I want to make sure that I ask you. Uh, um, She asked, and this was, I love this. She said um, that I should ask you about pastoral care in the church. And, and this is a big topic and it's, uh, you know, Pope Francis is very into this pastoral accompaniment. We need to accompany people. This is about people on people. Um, she said, you know, in regards of lay people, pastors, et cetera, especially in regards to caring for single mothers, parents or families, like, like your, you know, if you have, if you've been affected by suicide, um, all of these issues, you know, being a single mom, um, what's your take on how the church could be better at accompanying people through that and, and what your experience was either, you know, good or bad, Um, of that kind of pastoral accompaniment?
2: Well, I think that my priests are a perfect example of how to pastor someone. Um, And I'll tell you why, because uh, so my pastor and um, another priest, Father Jay were both at my parish. When I came into the church, Father Jay was only a priest for six months and um he walked with me through my conversion he celebrated the mass where me and my husband got married he baptized anthony and he gave him his first holy communion and he also him and my pastor both came here the night that we found anthony and father jay blessed anthony's body and then has walked with us ever since like i mean constant accompanying accompaniment Through my entire process from the moment I was in RCIA until yesterday, you know, like, and the thing that I love about him is that he is, he does not water down the faith whatsoever, but he also makes it clear that he loves me unconditionally um, and my children. So I have a child who struggles with her sexual orientation. She has a giant pride flag in her room and father blessed her room and just closed the door. Didn't say one word. And I could see in my child's eye that she was waiting. She was waiting for the anything, right? And he didn't say anything and he walked out and then he left. And when he left, she looked at me and she said, if I ever come back to the church, it's going to be because of that priest. And Mm -hmm. that, listen, I get it, but she knows, she knows the faith. She understands, she understands what the church teaches. She understands where she stands on it. But I think sometimes we get so fearful of losing. It's not even about losing someone's soul because that's up to God. And you can't say God's merciful and kind and all this and that and then go, oh no, this person's going to fall into hell. Like (laughs) the two things don't really go together. What we're really scared of is losing, um, we feel like we're on a team and we're going to like lose a point if this person isn't this perfect Catholic, right? But God, God is a God of the impossible. So I think that the important way to accompany someone and to walk with them and to give them pastoral care is to love them unconditionally. And yes, there's a time to explain the church's teachings and the whys, but you have to know when that time is and it has to be God's time and not your time because you're trying to win an argument because winning an argument isn't the goal Uh, allowing someone to be loved by God through you that's the goal and sometimes that comes with truth and sometimes that comes with love sometimes that means saying something that sometimes that means keeping quiet and you really the only way to know is to be completely connected to the Holy Spirit in your own life. So if God's not talking to you about your sins, then you have no business talking to someone else about their sins. That's my number one personal rule. If me and God aren't having conversations about how I flipped that guy off in traffic yesterday, then I really cannot talk to anyone else about anything they're doing, (laughs) you know?
0: (laughs) Well, also like, I mean, it's 2020. If someone wants to know what the church teaches, they're just one Google away from (laughs) from 4k footage of Katie Prejean explaining <laughs> in great detail you know what i mean like they're just one google away from you know 4k footage of of Patrick Madrid explaining church teaching. you know what i mean yeah i think it's it's such a good point it reminds me of um you recently wrote an article uh titled i think it was i'm not interested in being right
2: <laughs> yeah
0: what, what do you, what did you mean by that? If you could just kind of share a little bit of that.
2: Um, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't want to be like, I don't want to have all the right arguments to win an argument, to be right and to be like, yeah, I dunked on that guy. You know what I mean? I want it to be yeah. holy. And sometimes yeah. the road to holiness is to be like, oh man, <laughs> I had that really wrong. Speaking of Patrick Madrid, like I got, like him and I are friends. I wrote a chapter in one of his books and you know, there's times when I'm debating him about something and I'm like, but that's just, that doesn't make any sense or whatever, whatever, whatever. And for Patrick Madrid to be open to a conversation with a girl who has a GED, um, that's, that's pastoral care. You know what I mean? That's yeah. humility. That's, that's not having to be right. That's listening. Cause We're going to learn from one another and right doesn't get you into heaven. Holiness does. Mm.
1: Um,
2: I want to know the truth. And that's the way I've always been. That's how I ended up here as a Catholic. (laughs) I was trying to prove that the church was wrong about everything. And um, Father Jay hands me the catechism and some papal documents. And is like, here, read this and see how wrong they are. And I'm like, oh, I will. Had my highlighter. And I was like, I'm going to show them. And I'm like, ah, man, all this is right. Like, all this is true. (laughs) And I ended up Catholic. So, Um, yeah. uh, To me, it's just not about winning an argument. And it's not about, and this goes with everything. It's not just church stuff. It's like the politics stuff, too. We have such a, we have such a tendency to pick a side. And then to argue that side to no end
1: Mm.
2: and to never say, okay, well, maybe that wasn't the way it's being presented. That wasn't really what happens the way it's being presented, but it's being presented that way because they know that the other side's going to pounce and then talk about it for days on end. You know, someone can be wrong and then also have their words twisted. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, like, I just think that sometimes we pick our camp and then we stay there through thick yeah.
1: And
2: as Catholics, I think we should leave room for truth and not necessarily, yeah. like, right and wrong.
0: Yeah, we're very tribal, like, I think yeah. naturally. And we want to make sure that we're in a tribe that's all wearing the same jersey. And that like, how do I make sure that I'm in the right Jersey of the tribe that I want to be in? And, and that's really difficult. I have to be honest. I have to really, I have to really monitor how much time I allow myself to be on Twitter. Yes. Because years ago, and I really do feel like this is a modern virtue that you have to cultivate, which is like you curate your, what you see on social media. Like if every day you only click YouTube videos about puppies, you're going to see more and more puppy videos, you know? And so like you can control who you follow. So I've made it a point to like follow like all across the spectrum, all sorts. And I was like, I want to, I, you know, I, I need to see all of it, you know, but I have to be really careful with how much I expose myself to Twitter in particular, because it just seems uh, it, it has a real impact on me emotionally. And honestly. Yeah. Twitter in particular, I don't know, I don't know how active you on Twitter are on Twitter, but Twitter in particular, um I mean, I have a I mean, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I have a I have a bachelor's in theology and catechetics, and often I feel I walk I'll I'll open Twitter for 10 minutes and close it and just be like I don't know if I'm smart enough to even <laughs> uh, like wade through all the like I feel like I would have to spend the amount of time that'd be equivalent to a PhD to figure out my, what my opinion in this one narrow area is. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if maybe I just need to wait till I'm 45 and I'll, and I'll be smarter <laughs> and wiser, but it's, it's very difficult. I don't know if you've had that experience, like how to navigate, you know, just, yeah, just that, that, that environment, you know?
2: Yeah. I have teenagers, so they kind of help me because And this is the thing is about this younger generation, like my children. So my, my second son is 20, about to be 22, then 21, then 18, about to be 19. And they are so philosophical that I literally, people ask me all the time, like, why am I getting a bachelor's in philosophy? And it's like, to talk to my children because they're just (laughs) like fascism and, Communism and Marxism and blah I mean, and they're like arguing and debating at the dinner table, and I'm like googling you know like guys, I huh. have a g g d like let's com let's talk about salads or the weather or something, you know, and I mean this is constant every day, um so that helps me specifically, but I think that the tribalism on Twitter is what really gets me down because the gospel gets lost in all of that, and yeah. um If we're not witnessing the gospel, then we're wasting our time (laughs) Mm, (laughs) to me specific. Like to me, it's like, if you're, and I'm not talking about like praise Jesus all the time, like saying like praise the Lord and praise Jesus, like all the time. I grew up in that kind of evangelical circle too, where it's like every single thing that anyone did was like, Oh, praise God. And only listen to worship music and stuff like that. There's nothing wrong for people who do that. I, but that's not what I'm talking about. I just think that we have to, in everything we do, be a witness of the gospel in some form or fashion. And when I mm-hmm. log into Twitter and it's like uh, crazy dumpster fire,
1: <laughs> Yeah. I just yeah. like
2: shut the lid and walk away. You know what I, mean? like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I put it on God's to-do list and I just kind of walk off. But I think yeah. that we have to like remember that. And that's also part of the healing process for a lot of people, because I think this is another thing. Um, everyone comes to those conversations with their own wounds. So you have the women who come to the conversations who have been wounded physically and emotionally um, by men, like in abusive situations and they come with those wounds. And so they're talking about X, Y, and Z. And then you can he- feel that hear the pain and when they're talking about situations with men, you know, or then you have uh, yeah. the, you know, people who've been victims of racism or people who've been victims of this other thing. And so we all come to those conversations with our own assumptions and our own wounds and our own problems. And if we're not working to heal that stuff, we're just adding to it. We're just putting more yeah. in the world. You know, you're either putting healing into the world or you're putting more pain into the world. Those are the only two options.
0: Yeah, for sure there's a lot of talk um well i mean there's a i appreciate this new emphasis on a personal relationship with jesus in catholic circles yes and and there's often this like feeling oh man that's such a protestant thing and i love that you're saying like you know there's a spectrum you know there's these you know it's not only personal relationship with Jesus and emotionalism or or whatever you might, and then it's not only arguments and rationalization, and I always find it interesting to ask someone what their personal experience, like how they describe and i and i I just get a sense that you really understand the difference between an intellectual relationship to Jesus and a and a personal experience or a personal relationship with him. And how would you describe that to someone who maybe has only ever approached Christianity from an intellectual or philosophical perspective? How, how, how do you describe that? I, I mean, I get the sense, I'm probably assuming, but I, I get the sense that you know Jesus. <laughs> you know Jesus in, in, a, in, a, in a way that's different than just intellectually.
2: Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, is that my relationship with Christ has looked differently in different times of my life. Like at one point I, uh, you know, when I was nine years old, I answered my first altar call. Cause I just, everyone kept talking about Jesus living in your heart and like, he wants to give you good things. And to me, it's like a good, good things is like a dad, you know? So huh. I'm like, yes, this is how I'm going to get that, you know? Um, and, yeah. and so that that but I didn't really understand the logistic. Like, what does that look like in your life to have Jesus? To me, what it looked like to have Jesus as um, your Lord and savior when I was nine and 10 and 11 was, it meant that he was blessing you and you were, you had this good life. And if you didn't, the proper, there was the prosperity gospel, you know? And if you didn't, then you were obviously doing something wrong. And then it evolved from that to like i'm gonna do my own thing, but when I'm cutting lemons at work, I'm gonna tell you about all my problems <laughs> like that's what my yeah. prayer life looked like, and now I can see that you know um my relationship with Christ is not um Like sometimes I wake up at three in the morning and I'm like, what do you want? You know? And I know it's like God wanting to talk to me. And it's so funny because I was talking to my priest about this the other day. And I was like, I know it's God waking me up at three in the morning. And then I get all these ideas and blah, blah, blah. And I start praying and this and that. And he said, you know why he wakes you up at three in the morning? And I'm like, why? And he's like, is this the only time you're probably shutting up? Like not telling him what to do and i'm like that is so that is kind of true so um you know that's what my relationship with jesus looks like like it looks like people and uh situations and i can just tell when it's him mm-hmm. um talking to me cuz it's pretty obvious so i think it's just like any other relationship where you get to know someone and we have arguments which Unfortunately, he's always right, but it's it's the argument that I'm ever going to win. But, you know, it's it's still freedom. It's still freedom to say, I think this is complete crap. Like, I feel like you suck at your job today. And, you know, it's God standing there going, All right. (laughs) Thanks for your opinion. You know?
0: (laughs) What a great way to say that. God, you're really sucking at your job today. Really phoning it in for your career. <laughs> Where'd hilarious. you get
2: your degree? Like, you know? Yeah. And I mean, and there's a lot of that. So I think, you know, I I think that people tend to have a relationship with their idea of a relationship with God and mm. and it's really simple. It's actually really simple. It's just talking to him and being yeah. yourself. I also once once I went to confession with this priest who knows me very very well and he said um why don't you try approaching god the way you approach me like because he already knows you and he already knows all your snarky thoughts about people (laughs) because it was like the fourth time i had like confessed having all these horrible thoughts about other people and he was like why don't you just talk to God about it stop confessing it and start talking to God about it and I did I started talking to God like well you know I really just don't like this person because x y and z and I need help and so in those conversations with God like I came and he started giving me a lot of insights about again trauma like i don't know what this person went through as a child i don't know what their parents went through and so maybe i should just stop assuming i know so much and just have a little bit more mercy even if that mercy looks like unfollowing them so that i don't think all these bad thoughts about them you know
1: yeah yeah
2: and stuff like that so like that's my relationship with god it's not difficult it's not um I don't have to like do all this work to come at him properly or anything like there's times when I'm talking to Jesus at the grocery store and we're just like talking about how I hate being at the grocery store or something. You know what I
0: mean? (laughs) It's so great too, though. I think, I think, um, I think often people who are new in their faith don't realize that, like they put so much pressure on themselves to yeah. be like, ah, like thou, the fa- heavenly <laughs> father, you know, like the King J like they want it. They feel like, all right, if I'm talking to God, I better put on a suit, you know? And, um, <laughs> I wish more people knew that like, like Christians who really follow Jesus, like they get mad at him and that's biblical. Like it's biblical people being pissed at God, you know? Yeah. Um
2: like the day anthony died on a wednesday and that friday morning i was at morning mass it was 6 30 in the morning and um and i went right to the tabernacle after mass and i'm kneeling there and a few friends afterwards um like months 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 afterwards told me like we will never forget seeing you in front of the tabernacle after anthony's suicide That's just, you're so holy to have gone straight to Jesus on such a hard day. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I was dropping F-bombs, lady. Like, I was like, F this and F that and F you and F everything. And I hate, you know what I mean? Like, it might have looked very pious, but inside me and God were having, I was having some words, you know? And and people are like, what, really? Yeah. And he didn't smite me because he's God and he loves you and he can handle it. He's a big big God and he can take yeah. that anger and I mean eventually I did have to confess some of that stuff but you know like he <laughs> he's like yeah you know you, you might have gone a little too far but I love you and we're gonna move on you know and that's just the way that's just the way it goes like I don't think people really yeah. understand that God isn't looking to trick you into messing up so he could smite you that's not how that yeah. works
0: yeah what what um I mean I mean, um I'm just gonna be s I'm just gonna be straight up honest with you. The story of your son it feels so big and so heavy and you've told it I feel like you I mean, I don't know if this is true, but I, I feel like as I've done research on you and, and your story, you've told the story a lot. And you know, as I was preparing for this interview, I was like, I don't wanna just you know all right, tell me the story that you, you know you you have to you have to tell a lot. But I but I did want to ask you for other people that feel, I mean that like arguably one of the worst situations, right? I mean to have your to have your own child take their own life, one of the worst situations. And and also you've had experience like experiences of, like very traumatic intense experiences for people that feel like, cause I, I kind of know this feeling when you feel like you're experiencing the worst moment of your life or the, or the worst, um, that you're carrying something that's so heavy. And I don't know what advice you have to someone who feels whatever that baggage is that they have, whatever that moment or that trauma or that, that pain like what what do you say to that person or or when you think of that person what comes to mind to say
2: um I think it's important to acknowledge the truth of the situation as far as you are kind of alone in it because even me losing Anthony and um my husband lost him and my other children lost him and his children lost him. We each lost a separate relationship. Like my relationship with Anthony wasn't my son Gabe's relationship with Anthony. Wasn't my husband's relationship with Anthony. Like we all had a unique relationship to him. He was unique to each of us in his own way. Right. So in that uniqueness of relationship, you are kind of alone, but you're also, um, not alone because, you know, God is there, but you, God, you don't have to, you don't have to do anything. Like you don't have to even be like, okay, well, God's with me. You can just sit in your feelings of being alone and in your feelings of being in deep pain and veg on the couch for six months. Like I did binge watching comedy specials on Netflix because God doesn't require entertainment. You know what I mean? God will sit there with you even if you're eating ice cream and watching Felipe Esparza's special for the 47th time. Like, he's down. He's a ride-or-die kind of God. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think that's so yeah. important for people to understand because I think sometimes we think we have to entertain God. Like, okay, well, if I want God to sit with me, then I'm going to have to pray and I'm going to have to go to Mass. And And, and it's – all those things are good within themselves, but – you don't have to entertain him and um I think it's also important to um I I tell people this all the time because people tell me like I hope you find peace and I'm like um I have the right to mourn my child you know, um, he took his own life in my home. I was the last person he talked to. I had him when I was 17. I raised him for 22 years. He was the love of my life. And I I get to mourn him. I have the right to mourn him. And it might be uncomfortable, but everyone has to give me that space. Um, And, and the people yeah. that did give me that space really helped me to when I was ready, when I was ready to finally take a shower and get off the couch, <laughs> people were like, Yay <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. And <laughs> and that's um and that really meant so much to me and that really kept me alive and also just people who I could say, I can't I can't pray today. Can you pray for me? And they stepped in and they did that. You know, mm-hmm. they prayed for Anthony. We have so many prayer cards for Anthony. Um or just I I didn't eat for like three days after Anthony died and my husband was getting really worried. And so he told a friend to bring over Dairy Queen because if I smelt it, I wouldn't be able to help myself. And I was like on the couch and everyone's like, we well, really need to eat. And I was like cussing everyone out, you know, like get away from me. I was a real porcupine, like get away from me. I'm not going to eat, yeah. you know? And then my friend walks in with Dairy Queen and I was like hey can I have one of those burgers (laughs) like you You know that's love like no one was trying to force me no one was lecturing me but they were like you know she can't pass a hunger buster like a hunger buster can't go past her after three days of not eating and she's just gonna be like nothing you know
1: Um,
0: yeah Yeah. and so those
2: things yeah
0: wow man um, can you tell me about your podcast, In the Tension?
2: Yeah, I honestly don't know what I'm doing. And I... But I <laughs> This is
0: amazing. <laughs> this is the beauty of podcasts.
2: Yeah, I, but so I'm having fun. And it's really helping my anxiety because I have such a fear of messing up. And it's like the space where you just can't mess up because it's your own space and people either listen or they don't and it's fine or it's not, there's nothing like, you're not going to fall off a cliff and die. It's fine. Um, So I'm having a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I get to be myself. Um, And you know, at 43, I finally feel like I know what that means. Like I know who I am. I know that I talk really fast. I know that I, ramble, I know that I go down rabbit holes, whatever the case might be. And um I'm okay with it. So I I want yeah. to I want to create a space where you can have conversations about things that people don't like to talk about. Like people don't like to talk about um like you were saying like marriage counseling. Everyone's like ah you know ah marriage counseling. Yeah. And um
1: yeah
2: or like fighting with your spouse. Like I just did like this teeny tiny one where i was talking about influence influencer culture and i'm like you know we're kind of all fake on instagram cuz none of us are showing the kid that just you know pooped their pants and what that life is like no one's showing the tantrum with the one the two year old at the grocery store like no one's picking up their phone and like hey guys yeah, yeah. i'm going live right now me and my husband are having a huge fight about budgets you know <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah yeah no one no one's taking a picture of their child and being like I told myself I was gonna stop spanking and I this is the look of my child. After six months of not spanking my child, I like, I hit my own child and I'm a horrible person.
2: And, I, and you're crying if, and the child's the, crying.
0: And you're like, if the cops showed up and took me to jail, I would I would be totally okay with that because I deserve it, you know? No one takes a photo yeah. of that for some reason on Instagram.
2: Yeah, or like go live when you're outside your kid your friend your kid's friend's house and you're like, "So, this is me live outside my kid's friend's house and they're drunk inside and they're 15. I got to go get them." <laughs> like no one's doing that. So on some level, yeah. we're all fake yeah. on Instagram, you know? Um Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and sure. I love that I can talk about that stuff because people just yeah. don't like there's this like whole and and I think there's beautiful content out there, but I just think there's this whole yeah, narrative I, of what the Catholic life looks like.
0: Yeah. What about the name? I love the name In the Tension. How did you come up with that? What is, what's your, yeah, what's the thoughts behind the name?
2: It was um, one of those conversations at 3 a.m. with God. And he was like, hey, you know what? You should name your podcast. And I'm like, I don't have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> And God's like, hey, but you know what? You should name it. <laughs> but I don't know how to do a podcast. <laughs> Can I just go to sleep, please? I'm so sleepy. <laughs> um, and I was yeah. like, how about in detention? And I'm like, F my life. I'm going to have to do this podcast now, you know? And I was like, what does this uh, even mean? Yeah. And So then I had to kick it around. I took it to my therapist. I took it to my priest. Um and it just describes my life like my entire life has had some tension in it whether it's tension between me and my mother tension between me and the fact that i didn't have a father i was bullied in school and i think it's made me comfortable in these spaces of Mm. i'm a very confrontational person but not like not i I just, I want to know what's happening, what's going on. What's the truth? What do you think? What do I think? What are we doing? Like I love having these conversations. Um, and I think a lot of people don't know how to sit in tension, but because I've lived in it my entire life, I'm not, it doesn't make me uncomfortable. Um, and I think that's where growth comes from.
0: So what, you know, so what, what, what is your relation at this point? Is your relationship with tension, I mean obviously I'm um, I'm sure you know if you could remove some of the tension from your life like you would but I I get the sense though that you have like you see tension as productive maybe or like like is tension good or bad or or should we even judge tension in our lives as should we even say like oh I wish I didn't have this tension in this topic or is it productive is it good is it you know
2: I think it's good, but I I think that we've been taught that we should do everything to avoid it. So like you don't talk about religion, politics, da 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 like the list, right? Money. Like you don't talk about these things in public to other people because it's not polite. So politeness uh, yeah. has become this comfort peace thing. Yeah. And it's and I that's not how you get to peace. You get to peace by working through things my processing them a lot mm. of people um have you know reached out to me and said like thank you so much for talking so openly about grieving your son because they weren't allowed I, I i talked to this lady once she was like in her 80s and her sister had committed suicide when she was in her 20s so for 60 years this woman didn't tell anyone her sister had committed suicide whatsoever because she wasn't allowed to talk about it and so when she heard me mm. give a talk at this church she finally got up and said, yeah, my sister died by suicide too. And everyone at the church, and this was a small town, everyone in the church was like, wow. You know? And she felt like, she's like, I feel like a burden was lifted off of me. And I think that's, I think to me, that's what the, what tension does. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it is, um, we've just come to this idea that it's polite to not, talk about things that could cause any kind of tension you
0: know do you feel like tension now is more of is more of um a sign that you should pay attention in an area like oh there's tension i need to examine why and 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 like why this tension is here and how to overcome it or go through it or sit in it
2: Right. Exactly. Like my husband and I have for 12 years, always gotten into arguments when we talk about money. And so it's like, what is this? You know? And finally, like, yeah, it's that it's like, there's, we have to examine this. This is not, this is, I don't care about the technical the technical stuff, like who has a bank account who's paying the cable bill like that doesn't bother me, but why do we have such a hard time talking about it? like why do you and I have a problem yeah. here and to me that that is so yeah. yeah, it is a sign to me about anything, and also like you know when you i mean you're you, when you have teenagers, you really learn about tension <laughs> they, they don't really yeah, have much of a vocabulary, <laughs> but you can sense. Yeah. Something's wrong. Like you sense a storm brewing and you have to, like, yeah. know how to navigate through it. Cause it's also not going, hey, what's wrong? Is there something wrong with you? Cause you're never going to get an answer other yep. than no. <laughs>
0: yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much. I mean, I, man, I would love to have you on again in the future. If you're ever in DFW, you should come in person and we should do yeah. some, we should record podcasts. But, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm so, I'm so glad you exist. I'm I'm, you. <laughs> I'm just glad you're out there and then you're sharing your story and just sharing your experiences. Is there, is there anything you want to tell people or is there any, you know, where can people go? Obviously then go to your podcast in the tension, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Is there any last things that you want to share? We've been talking for a while now. <laughs>
2: Yeah, my website is com, And, you know, I, I just think that everyone needs to take a deep breath and remember that everything's going to be fine. I see it's so wild to me because I see everyone going through what me and my family went through after Anthony's suicide, uncertainty, um, trauma not knowing what happened everyone's life changed in an instant right like one day everything was fine and the next day you can't hug anyone you can't go outside you can't go to the grocery store wearing a mask everything's super messed up um and i think oh. that i hope i hope that people seeing me being able to live after anthony's suicide will remind them that there will be a life after this you know, yeah, yeah. And that's
0: pretty much. it. Man, amen. <laughs> yeah. Man, I'm. I'm gonna. We'll post. Um, we'll post links because you've shared your story in multiple places, and and I want to post links to that because I really want to encourage people to go listen, listen to that. And thank you so much for, you know, following through all these different topics that we've talked about. It's been so great. And um, yeah, yeah. Thank you for being on the podcast.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was great. It was a great conversation.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that we met. All right, I'm going to hit stop. but I, okay. I still want to say bye to you after. Okay, everyone, you've listened to the show. Go sign up on Patreon and follow it. on YouTube and go to Facebook and Instagram and all those places for the show.